This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back everyone and thanks for listening. About two and a half months ago, I had the opportunity to make a great decision, and I did. It was newsworthy and warranted its own press release. Here's the headline and excerpts from that release. Experienced researcher joins fight to end food insecurity in Michigan. The Food Bank Council of Michigan just added a formidable ally to pursue its vision of a food-secure Michigan. Dawn Opal, J.D., Ph.D., assumes the role of FBCM's Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives starting December 18th. Most recently, she served as the Assistant Professor at Michigan State University and Policy Research Fellow at the Center for Health and Research Transformation at the University of Michigan. In addition to earning a doctorate degree in rhetoric, composition, and linguistics from Arizona State University, Opal received a Juris Doctorate from the University of North Carolina School of Law and a Bachelor Degree in History from Wake Forest University. She served as a judicial clerk in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court and has a postdoctoral research fellow at the Arizona State University. I'm excited that Dawn Opal is a part of our team, and she's here in the studio with us today to talk about research and strategic initiatives as we move forward with our pursuit to create a food-secure state. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. We're back here on Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight in the studio. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, and what do I always say? It didn't quit talking. Let's get to the guest. <laughs> I, I mean, we have Dawn in the studio. She's been with us before. It's always exciting to talk with Dawn, but now to be working with Dawn on a regular basis is phenomenal. My team loves her, and uh, and we've learned a lot from her, and we, we have a lot more work to do. I, I want to give a short historical perspective just since we've been doing the show. Okay. Right? So, so three years ago, we started doing the show to try to change the conversation about food uh, insecurity in Michigan and to start letting people know that you can drive toward changes that will increase food security. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, getting new partners and sometimes it means doing better work and sometimes it means just understanding the problem more. But, but certainly getting new people involved and all that has been part of the deal. Well, since then... There's been so much progress in the social determinants of health, not just among food banks, but the community as a whole has really looked a lot harder. There's been work done in, in places all over the country to really understand better what is the impact 
of nutritious food on people, period. And then more specifically, how can we help low-income people who are food insecure have access to food as one of the key strategies for improving health and improving the quality of their life? We're so glad to have you. This is a very exciting time for our state and for the Food Bank Council and for the food banks around. Uh, Welcome and I'm eager to hear what you know what your thoughts are after a couple months on the job. Well, thank you, Jerry. It's been a really exciting first two or three months. I think I'm almost to three months now, and I've gotten to learn so much about the state of Michigan and about the about our food bank network and about the kind of work that we are doing and are going to do, and um, really developed some great relationships and started building uh, relationships for the future for uh, for healthcare, particularly um, for, for our work to be done in healthcare spaces. So I'm just really thrilled to have a chance to talk to you about what I've seen and learned and where we're going. So part of that, Dawn, is that we went on a tour of the seven food banks across the state. So maybe it would be good to kind of recap those visits and some of the potential you see in the different seven Feeding America food banks that serve all of Michigan. Sure. So a big part of this work is learning not just what makes a successful research project that integrates foods, you know, food into healthcare, but also to learn sort of the contextual um, uh, pieces of what is it like to work in to work downstate, to work in the Upper Peninsula, to work on the western part of the state, to work mm. in rural areas and urban areas, and right. who's there and who's uh, who may be interested in um, in furthering this work with us. And so um, the first part of that is really learning what the food banks are already doing and who they serve and who they partner with and what that looks like every day. And it's different. I know that you say, and you've probably said on the show before, that if you've seen one food bank, you've seen one, one food, food bank. bank. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that's very true. So, you know, so having in my mind's eye an understanding of what each food bank does, who, you know, sort of what their footprint is or service area, because I have to then start to think about how the healthcare service areas overlap or don't overlap because clearly they have a different footprint. And so we have to start thinking about, um, you know, what would it mean for these partnerships in particular parts of the state? So um, so you know, these tours often, you know, learning, I think, the capacity, sort of what is in their warehouse, who, you know, what their ordering system looks like, what kinds of things they've got um, on hand and what they have surplus of and what their, you know, who their particular agencies are and where they're um, interested in growing is a huge part of that. So that's sort of where we started in each place was to learn where they're at, what their partnerships currently look like, and then where I may assist them moving forward. I think one of the really interesting things was the time that you spent with food gatherers last summer before you came to work with us. Um, on a, on a research project that really put you inside the pantry network. Absolutely. So last summer, uh, as a researcher at Michigan State, I had a small grant to look at the ways in which clients were experiencing the agencies and particularly uh, looking at the link to feed pantry software, which is what we collect our data with to mm -hmm. learn who each pantry is serving. And we wanted to learn about how the clients experience that and also what their general experience is like at an agency. So I spent a good month with uh, a research colleague, Dr. Donnie 
UTK at the University of Texas at Austin. And we uh, talk to over 50 clients of different uh, food uh, pantries and also uh, the, the volunteers that are working there to learn more about what it looks like on the ground, which has given me fantastic context to now think about um, how we're going to collect data and do work in healthcare spaces. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Jerry, we're going to come back and pick this up because there's there's a lot more to talk about here. I said it could be two or three shows with Dawn. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Right? I think they're on the calendar at least. They should be. They should be. <laughs> so, Jerry Bisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with Dr. Dawn Opal. We're back here on Food First Michigan in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Don Opal, Dr. Phil Knight here in the WJR studio. Jerry, you got a burning question about data. I yeah, can see it. You know, well, we started we started down the path of talking about it, and it's it it can feel so cold to talk about data, right? Because data, even the word is kind of a cold <laughs> word with hard, you know consonants and it just doesn't sound very warm you know if someone comes up to you and says hi i want your data that doesn't feel good right but here's here's what we have to focus on i first of all we have to find a softer word somewhere just for the sake of it but um (laughs) what we know is that charity has gotten us where we are today and charity is built on a very strong principle that it's it's really the giver who benefits the most, right? It's the giver who gets many of the positive benefits of charity because you know you're helping somebody, that tremendous powerful feeling and energy that comes from that, that powers your life as a giver is such an important part of how we got to where we are in terms of feeding so many people. But if you're really going to solve a problem, you can't just feel good about what you've done. You have to know that it mattered. You have to know that it made a difference beyond this moment. And so when you start talking about link to feed and when you start talking about, you know, talking with people who are sharing their life with you and and really giving data is about sharing their life. It's about being able to say, this really did help me and here's how it helped me and here's some of the ways that my life has gotten better because I had this assistance. And specifically with healthcare, here's how it's changed the profile of how often I have to go to the doctor or the emergency room or how often I have to take medication. And again, if you've ever had in your life a experience where you've had to take medication or go to doctor visits, you know how inconvenient it can be to have that as part of your life. So as we're helping people overcome that, right, and and getting on a path where they have to do less of those onerous things that take time and energy away, they're being more successful in their life and they're finding time to do other things. And so I wanted to frame this data idea first, that we're not really talking about, you know, even though it is demographics and even though it is A1C levels and even though it is, you know, very specific data points, what we're really talking about is sharing in a very different way with the people that we're in community with and helping with this food issue. But I know that as you bring your um, very strong research credentials to this, this how we share information with each other is one of the most critical aspects of making progress. 
Absolutely. And I could speak to that on a number of levels. But I think part of what you're suggesting is that the 21st century of food banking is going to be um, is going to move from um, more, uh, uh, you know, from a philanthropic model to more of a, a shared partnership for particular kinds of goals and outcomes across sectors um, from nonprofit to industry to government. We all need to work together to solve a complicated problem. And in order to do that, it means that we need to tell our stories differently. And so it has been um, historically, we have talked about the number of meals that we have served or the number of, uh, you, you know, sort of the, the weight in pounds of food that has gotten out into communities. And that is really laudable and amazing. But it doesn't do the same kind of work as telling the kinds of stories that you're talking about. And so in order, that is why research is so important to this work, because a healthcare organization needs to know more than the number of pounds of food we have. They need to know what that is going to do. And right. so in order for us to be able to tell the stories of what food does, uh, we have to have those stories. And so that's what data really is about. I used to teach a class um, at Arizona State University called Stories from Data. And what that really, um, the, the, the sort of goal of that course was really for students to understand that data science is really about telling stories. It's about taking that information, hmm. which could become largely quantitative, like number of, you know, sort of demographic, like you were talking about. But the point of it is to tell stories that are more persuasive to more stakeholders. And so, you know, and so as we move into um, other institutional spaces beyond just food banking, um, working beyond just our own agencies and into other spaces, we need to be able to tell different kinds of stories. So I want to give a real practical example of how data has caused us to think and rethink and continue to think about how we do our work. I'm going to talk about food boxes and client choice pantries. So a food box was the typical way that food banks did the work. You'd take a mixture of foods, you'd pack them in a box, and you'd give boxes to people to take home. That's pretty simple idea. A client choice pantry is where consumers come to a place that looks like a store. They pick the things that they want, and then that's what they take home. And we... Client Choice Pantries was a big innovation probably 20 years ago as a way to take things into consideration. Like you don't know if people have food allergies and you don't know what they really like to eat. And, you know, it was a the idea was it would reduce the amount of waste in the system and increase the dignity. So now we're thinking about it even differently for people that have the time. And the inclination to do a client choice pantry, it is really helpful. But there are many instances where a well-thought-out box of food with, with food that people generally like and aren't allergic to is faster and cheaper and serves people better than a client choice pantry. How do we know this? Because we ask. Because we ask people, is this working for you? And what would work better? And we're now distributing more food boxes than we did two or three years ago because it's what people want and need. But you wouldn't know it if you weren't sharing information, right? And that's what data sharing does. It, it, it deepens your understanding of what it is that works for people so you can accomplish the most. So what I heard you say there, Jerry, was 40 years ago when food banks started, it was... Here's a box of food. Hope you like it. Tough if you don't. And, right. I mean, this is what this is our model. Then we moved to a client choice pantry, and now we've gone back to boxes, but we haven't eliminated choice in the, 
in the first box, there was no choice. Right. In the client choice pantry, there was choice. And with that choice came dignity. Now in the box that you're talking about, you haven't removed the dignity or the choice from that. They're getting to choose what goes in that box. Is that correct? Well, and not necessarily at the moment. So we'll say, what do you want in the box? They'll say, we want chicken and we want rice and we want, you know, the things they want in the box. And we'll make sure that what's in the box is what they would choose. But when they're at the distribution, they're not choosing that moment because it takes too long. Right. I want to be I want to get what I need and I want to be gone because I got to move on with my life. Remember, more than half of the households we serve are working. Right. Right. So and if they have kids, they're working and trying to get their kids to activities and things are going on at school and other things are happening in their life. So time is a hugely valuable commodity to people. And so we adjust our models based on what we've learned from people. Right. So that what we do isn't about what we want or think. It's about what actually works for them. Yeah, and I would say that convenience is something that, you know, if you think about the the sort of inundation that we now have with um, food delivery services for all people, you know, we're all looking for convenient, fast, healthy solutions. And so um, what's interesting is as you increase stakeholders and start to think about what the healthcare industry would want to be involved, you know, as their involvement with us grows, also they're providing their input of our patients need fast, healthy um, options that they know that they're on their care plan if they adhere to those foods. And so that's the space that we're rapidly entering and we've got to be prepared um, to also respond to those kinds of, um, of interests. Yeah, it's the evolution of the, of the distribution model by listening to people, which AKA is, comes from data, right? And I am so ready to bring that evolution to summer food service, but that's a whole nother show. Well, it is another show, <laughs> and it's another show that we can't be stuck 40 years ago delivering food the way we were then. Right. That's just not efficient. And it doesn't give people a hand up, you know. It doesn't lift them up. We don't want to add to their load. We want to. We want to add. We want to be a, a, an organization that that gives a lift, not add to their load. So, uh, Dr. Dawn Opal, who is I'm so proud to say the director of research and strategic initiatives at the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Doctor, uh, there you go, Doctor Jerry Rasan. Yeah, not doctor, but that's okay. Honorary. <laughs> yep. And me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Jerry Brisson. Not Dr. Jerry Brisson, but Jerry Brisson <laughs> is here with us. Dr. Dawn Opal, me, Dr. Phil Knight. And we're, uh, we're really talking a lot about how... We're maturing and innovating in how we do this work that is really only, and I remind people that it's really only about 40 years old, you know, so. All of food banking. All of food banking. People think we've been around like the church or the elementary school or the firehouse, like we've been here forever. And we've only tackled this problem of food insecurity for one generation. So I think we made remarkable progress and we've got more to make. And that's not going to come by doing what we were doing yesterday, right, Dawn? 
That's right. So a part of the strategic initiatives part of my job title is to really think strategically about what the future could look like. And happily, you know, we have amazing operations people that get food and food out every day. And I don't have to worry about that. What I can think what I can use all my brain power on is thinking about what in the next 20 years, what could this how could we redesign or reimagine the way we do business? And a big part of that we know is going to involve strategic partners partnerships in other sectors. So I talk a lot about cross-sector partnerships because food banks aren't going to do this alone. We're going to work with other institutions and anchor institutions that are held accountable to the public. And, you know, and so part of that is thinking about, well, what's the best way that we can deliver food to them? And it's going to look a whole lot of different ways in the future, but we've really got to be able to, to think outside the box and start to think about having kind of audacious, um, ideas about what, you know, what a completely different supply chain model might look like and, you know, and, and spend some time um, with our partners or our potential partners and build the relationships to have those conversations. And that's really the exciting part of my job. And hmm. it's been fun for me to talk to the other food bankers and their staff and sort of bring this to them and say, you know, are you would you like to do this with me? And, you know, we've had amazing sort of early synergy, I think, particularly I was just t- saying at the break with South Michigan Food Bank. Um, they're super excited to get out there and serve their counties in a different way and um, and are very willing to have hard conversations about where things are now and where they could be. And I've been really, really excited to be in the room as they learn about sort of what the healthcare landscape is in um, rural counties that they serve that really they haven't had partnerships with in the past, but they're excited to build them. And it's just like watching this sort of redesign and like new future really take shape in front of me. Right. So let me remind everybody, that's uh, the South Michigan Food Bank's located in Battle Creek, and their CEO is Peter Vogel, who's been on this show. And uh, if you're looking at the podcast website, foodfirstmi.org, then you can find that podcast with Peter, which was pretty cool. Because he is exactly what, and it's a 180-degree turnaround for that organization to have this kind of leadership that's innovative, uh, but one thing I want to clear up as we move forward in this conversation with about uh, what's happening at the South Michigan Food Bank is you mentioned anchor institutions. Can you give us a couple of examples of what those would be in the community? Sure. So uh, so I think the two largest, particularly as they relate to food, um, are health care and education. So, you know, if we really think about that, the that you know, that the the member or the citizens that we're really trying to serve primarily children, older adults, where do they come into an institution? They're going to be either in school or in healthcare. And so that is those anchor institutions are really places where you systematically meet people where they are. They are in school there. They go to the doctor. So how do we then meet people where they are and help those anchor institutions serve their clients better? Right. Jerry, you guys are have been doing that with that thought at Gleaners for some time, as has many of our other food banks. Yeah, it's <clears throat> so if you want to do both more and better, you have to look at what is actually happening in the lives of the people you're trying to serve so that you can t- together, as you're thinking about this together, find the best, most convenient which is oftentimes also the most cost-effective way to exchange whatever it is you're trying to exchange. In our case, we're just trying to exchange food 
with people, right? But food has weight. It has substance. It's it's something that, you know, you got to cart around. Not just us, but then, you know, even at a distribution, if people don't, for example, have transportation and you give them 40 pounds of food, are you going to lug 40 pounds of food two or three miles? I mean, that's a, that's not a small thing for somebody. Now, apparently, uh, you know, there's a few people, like my son, who's a football player, it wouldn't be a problem for him. But if you're 75 years old and you've got a few health conditions, lugging around 40 pounds of food is a completely different thing, right? So, so not one size fits all, right? It, it takes a lot of different strategies to meet the community where they are. But in the end, when you do it together, meeting people where they are, you often end up with more impact. And it doesn't always cost more money. Sometimes it does, but not always. Or another way to put it, sometimes the imp- the value of the impact is significantly greater than the additional cost, if there is additional cost. But you can't ever get there alone. You have to have com- conversations. You have to be exchanging information and then really learning whatever the truth is, learning what it is, and facing that truth Head on. I think that's really important. So the understanding that what happens when we deliver food to this anchor institution, what is the impact of that? That's my job is to know the answer to that, that like that, you know, that when that food gets there, we want to see our our educational outcomes improved, our health outcomes improved, our costs lower, you know, and and I think traditionally in a philanthropic model, the idea was just it feels really good to drop off food at a school. Yeah. But the question is now, I think, and I think this is this is really across the across the nonprofit sector writ large. I saw this working at Michigan State with all of my community partners. We have to be able to make better arguments and tell better stories about what happens when we partner and and deliver food to a particular location. We need to be able to know from that location's perspective or that anchor institution's perspective, did things get better and how? And from households too. So one of the things we know from low-income people with school-age kids is they often have to move several times in a year because they have trade-offs that they just can't manage between utilities and rent and food and health care, right? They're challenged, child care. So, so if you have to move several times and your children have to develop new relationships with teachers and principals and friends in school, that adds a huge dynamic amount of stress. Sure. If we can take hunger off the table... We know that some of those families won't have to move. Well, the value of that is way more significant than the cost of the food, right? Now, for us, the cost to distribute the food is the same, right? Wherever we're distributing it, it's the same cost, basically. But if we focus on families who really benefit when this problem is resolved for them, the number of positive impacts is significantly greater. Now, I say that, but we're in the process of proving it. And that's through uh, long-term work, really doing the research, working with school systems, working with government people, working with researchers to make sure that we've set up a situation where we can say kids are doing better in school. They are more likely to graduate. Families are able to stay in their homes more often. And we know it won't be 100%, but a 30% improvement would be astronomically good, right? And then as you learn one thing, it helps you learn the next thing, and you just keep getting better and better. So you're helping us, Dawn, think about the practical realities of moving from outputs to outcomes, and how do we measure that and thereby know. 
And one of the things Jerry said since I've known him has been, we have to do a better job of understanding our impact. So what have you seen in your first two and a half months that was an impact to you about the work that these food banks do? Sure. So I think I think one of the things that one experience that really struck me is the way in which a food bank can with much more accuracy, efficiency, success, move food from point A to point B. Hmm. So this is something that um, that I particularly, not to come, I'm, Peter's going to be, his ears are going to be burning when he <laughs> listens to this show. Um, but, um, but, his COO, um, Marsha Kiefer, is a, a former Meyer Warehouse um, guru, and she, in a meeting, she can explain to me how to move food and how effective compared to other places. And in this particular instance, we were learning a lot about other types of food um, interventions that were going on around the Battle Creek area. And she kind of comes in and is just like, listen to me, like I can do this. 80% cheaper. I can do this with, you know, in this amount of time I can do, you know, and I was just sitting here and I was like, who wouldn't do business with her? Like this is, (laughs) this makes total sense to me. So, but I think it's been an eye opener for me and also for some of our new partners to learn that really well-intentioned and like meaningful programs can't have the same kind of impact simply because they don't do food at scale. And so healthcare, as they learn about this, they're like, wait a minute, you know, we should have been part, you know, we don't have to pay you know, the wholesale price for produce to do, you know, like they learn these things and they're like shocked. And I'm shocked because I didn't know that either. So, you know, so it's these, these things I think are very eye-opening in terms of the business case that we're building with other sectors. And it's simply a matter of just getting out in the community and telling those stories um, of what the work looks like. Um, So, so now it makes my job a ton easier to build that research um, study because I can say, you know, so now you understand and how cost effective it is to do this work this way. And right. they're like, yeah, I know we get it. Okay. So now we can like really start to have a conversation. But a part of that has been, I think that we've done that work quietly sort mm-hmm. of behind, you know, behind the scenes in communities for a really long time. And so for industry, it just, they just weren't aware yet. So right. that's part of what I love about the roadshow of sort of taking these amazing food bankers out and, and having these healthcare meetings is that they learn, um, is that, you know, the industry learns sort of what they, how they can be an equal partner and not just a vendor or just, a, you know, a sort of a philanthropic or a charity, like, one-off right. it's project. It's a totally different relationship. Right. Yeah. I, I say I have the best job on the planet because I get to brag on what all seven of them do. And I've had the same experience in the legislature to be able to say, this is how much food we can get at this price, and we can turn your $2 million investment that if the families that we're distributing this food to had to go buy the food at retail, it would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $19 million. And so the legislators are just like, wow, man, that is a great return on investment for state dollars, and which I say is why we should do more. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, and now we're going to be able to add to that as we learn, not only is that investment just a good return on your dollar, but... It's also improving the health of the community. It's improving, it's improving the educational outcomes of the children that we want to be able to be successful in life. It's, it's improving the likelihood that a family can stay in their house 
right. for a longer period of time and have more stability in their life. I mean, there's so many other benefits that we are moving down the path to proving. I mean, imagine when that's all done, how wonderful that conversation is going to be. Well, this conversation is going to continue to be wonderful, but it's going to be wonderful on the other side of the break. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Don Opal, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're back. Come back and be with us. We're back. Jerry, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, man, I should know this right <laughs> off the top of my head. I don't tweet G-C- myself. GCFB Jerry. With a G. With a Jerry with yeah. a G. GCFB Jerry with a G. Dawn, what's yours? It is at Dawn Opal. That's that's nice. That's simple. That should be... I got in early. <laughs> on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm Dr. Phil 14. So there you have all our Twitter handles. You can find us all over social media. Food First Michigan's on Instagram as well as Facebook. And uh, so we'd appreciate it if you like our page and follow us. And uh, if you missed the show here on WJR, don't miss it on the podcast because you can subscribe to that too. So that's what's uh, going on with the show. Uh, although I should say congratulations, Mark and Jerry, um, because Food First Michigan received a second year-in-a-row award from the Michigan Association of Broadcasters for Weekend Personalities. So congratulations to our esteemed producer, Mark Blackwell, and to Jerry Brisson. So, and to you, Doctor. I well, mean, I think you. you're the key personality, I so don't know you, about that. you get at least 70% of the credit. No, I think so. <laughs> 68 maybe. 68 maybe. Well, so. really, if we were honest, we'd say Mark gets 78% <laughs> yeah. of the credit. Well, he cleans yeah. it up nice, doesn't he? <laughs> So it's a great team. I, I appreciate you guys, both of you gentlemen. Thank you very much. And uh, congratulations to, to WJR and to us and the Food Bank Council. Let's keep it up. Yeah. So keeping it up, one of the reasons I think that our show gets uh, so much attention is because of the quality of our guest. And today is no exception. But I'm happy that Dawn has been here. You've been with us um, as a researcher from Michigan State University two or three times on the show but today you're 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 you have a different role, and that is as our director of research and strategic initiatives, and we're super proud to have you as a part of the team, and uh, you're elevating the work for us. So, Jerry, you got a question? The question is, what's next? What's on the calendar? What do we expect to see? Well, I'm very excited to say that I'm working with the entire Food Bank Network to pursue uh, relationships and partnerships that are going to be incredibly impactful across the state, hopefully proving proof of concept of the amazing work that we're doing um, in healthcare, particularly, and influencing policy change um, and driving the business case for uh, increased work in food insecurity and food as medicine in healthcare. Which is so important. I mean, again, as we look at data and understand who we're reaching and who we're not reaching, one of the key populations we need to do a better job of reaching is seniors, and many of those seniors are having relationships with healthcare. And so we're gonna we're gonna be able to see them where they are and and not just present them with food because they need food, but actually because it's part of a treatment plan that they need for their health. And what we found already in the work that we've done is that seniors are much more willing to say, Okay, I'll I'll try that if it's not from a perspective of need, 
but rather from a perspective of this is going to help you feel better and it's part of your treatment plan. It's, it's so much more dignified than to saying to someone, well, you need this, so take it. And these partnerships, particularly for senior patients, are so valuable because they also, you know, transportation, social isolation, a lot of the issues that uh, that older adults in Michigan face, particularly in rural areas, but throughout the state, we really are poised to be a really important partner in improving the, the health and wellness and quality of life of those people. So these partnerships really have much more impact than we even know yet in terms of um, quality of life and, uh, and hope for the future for Michigan. So I know we made promises on the show that this is going to be the year when we start talking about what's actually happening, what that there's that there's real progress being made. And of course, uh, Dr. Opal, you are a key part of that for us as we move forward. So thank you for all the work you're doing. And on behalf of a food bank, not just one of the hosts of the show, um, you know, we're really excited to work with you and we, we know you're adding value to our work already. Well, I'm just honored to be uh, to be a part of this team and uh, really excited to see uh, the, the difference that we're going to make in the state over time together. So thank you very much for, uh, for, for creating this opportunity and position and ability to, to do this work for the state of Michigan. So thank you. Time for a little food for thought. Theodore Roosevelt, who led a personally recruited cavalry up San Juan Hill, is remembered as one of the bravest acts ever demonstrated by a leader. The cavalry was made up of northeastern aristocrats and cowboys from the Wild West, two very different groups, yet bound together by their belief in Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was a Harvard-educated New Yorker who was also a Western adventurer, and this is the law of magnetism, the ability to attract high-quality people to your mission whether they be Northeastern aristocrats or cowboys alike. The momentum of food insecurity is shifting in Michigan and largely because of you. Those of you who listen, volunteer, give, believe, and those who are willing to come alongside of us, like Dr. Opal, who has decided to invest a portion of her one handful of life into this great work of taking hunger off everyone's table. Thanks for listening, and until next week, remember, it really is food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.